Welcome to the Thrive Podcast from Syngenta, where the latest news, farming tips, and innovations come together to inform and inspire. Healthy soil is the foundation of productive and well-yielding crops, as well as sustainable agriculture. I'm here today with Doug Wolf, technical expert with the Environmental Safety Group at Syngenta, who knows quite a bit about how healthy soils impact sustainability and create more favorable soil conditions for crops, which can lead to higher potential yield. Doug, thank you so much for being here today. I would love to hear a little bit more about you and what you do with Syngenta. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Katie, for having me. Um, So first, uh, just kind of to introduce myself, my name is Doug Wolf. Um, I also want to preface this by saying there's two Doug Wolfs at Syngenta, um, and he has seniority on me, and I guess probably first dibs at the name. My father uh, was a professor at the University of Arkansas in the Crop Soil and Environmental Science Department, and then my mom also worked at the uh, Agriculture Research and Extension Soils Lab. Uh, So needless to say, soil science and agriculture has always been a big part of my life. I remember a lot of nights uh, at the dinner table trying to comprehend everything as a kid related to research projects, soil lab analysis, and everything like that. Uh, So that's when I kind of really fell in love with agriculture and soil science. Yeah, that's amazing that it's always kind of been part of your life. Um, So tell me, what are some of the main things that affect soil health? Yeah, this is a topic that's been going on long before I was uh, born. So I, I like to define soil health. Mm-hmm. as the continued capacity of soil to function as a vital living ecosystem, and this sustains the plants, animals, and humans. Um, so soil is a really incredibly dynamic and complex matrix, and so there's a lot of these processes that are always connected. And so to evaluate soil health, a lot of researchers and groups now use soil health indicators, and these assess various physical, chemical, and biological soil properties Um, And so there's, you know, 15, 20 of these um, with varying importance. Uh, For for me, I like to consider soil organic matter or soil carbon as one of the primary indicators um, because this just plays a really vital role in numerous soil functions uh, related to soil structure, water use, nutrient cycling, as well as biological activity. And, and kind of in relation to that, soil organic matter is very sensitive to land use and agronomic management practices, um, so such as tillage, cover crops, as well as crop rotation. So it's kind of a, <laughs> a really long-winded way of saying that land use and agronomic practices are really the primary factors that affect soil health. Going off of that, you talked a lot about the main things that um, affect soil health. How then do healthy soils improve crop production? Soil health has a substantial impact on profit and yield potential as these uh, growers are trying to produce enough food to feed an ever-increasing human population. Um, You also have uh, other benefits um, with having a healthy soil, such as uh, resilience to extreme weather changes, which we've uh, seen throughout the past year. So if you have either limited or excessive precipitation, uh, these healthy soils are more resilient and they're able to adapt so they can either um, take up uh, the enough water as well as you have good draining soil or having water in the uh, available water holding capacity, um, as well as uh, resiliency to uh, extremes in temperatures and winds as well, uh, which would have an effect on uh, soil erosion. What is the impact for those who don't prioritize soil health? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so if you're not prioritizing soil health, uh, I think it's kind of a, a snowballing effect. Um, if you 
are constantly having to do your conventional tillage and you're pulling your crops and then you have to apply your fertilizers and continue conventional tilling, you're never really able to start accumulating organic matter and it'll you know, progressively decline, um, which just further necessitates the use of you know, increased fertilizers as well as more farming. So it really just snowballs into a, a really detrimental uh, kind of situation. So it sounds like once you let it get out of control, you're really fighting a long uphill battle to get it back to where it needs to be. So you might as well prioritize it up front, right? Um, So you mentioned water a couple times. And so help me understand the relationship between soil health and water use efficiency and why that's important. This is actually a physical indicator of soil health. And and this is largely dependent, again, on soil organic matter and biological activity. And so when these stable soil aggregates increase, uh, they, they increase the plant available water holding capacity. And so... With that, you have a decrease in runoff and erosion because the water is being able to be absorbed into the soil instead of being uh, carried off on the soil surface. And so when you have these stable soil aggregates um, and these are, you know, stored in the associated pore space, you're also uh, promoting uh, crop root growth into these areas um, and penetrating into that soil root zone. Um, So when you have, you know, a heavy rain or something like that, a healthy soil uh, would be able to take in and store most of that water in these uh, small pore spaces or these medium pore spaces. Um, but they'll also have a balance of draining the soil um, through the larger macro pores. And so you're you're able to really retain this water for plant uptake during dry times, um, but then also allow um, air to like kind of rapidly get back into the soil. So good soil health practices help excess moisture be used more efficiently within the soil and helps extend water availability. With these healthy soil practices, you're really able to kind of get to that balance of enough available water for the plant to thrive with that water, as well as having proper drainage so it's not all being either stored in the soil, um, in the soil system, or if it becomes so full, then it just starts running off. And that's when you start having really bad uh, surface water erosion issues or things along those lines. So it kind of really acts as a sponge mm-hmm. is, a, is a nice way that I like to think about it, where it, you know, it kind of it's not it's not dripping out of excess, but it really is just all all right in there for the sponge. And that's, you know, that perfect kind of water balance for that for having you know, healthy crops. That was very well said. Layman's terms for me, someone who's not in this every day. Um, so what are some of the strategies or the things that growers can do to increase the organic matter in their soil? There's many strategies um, to increase organic matter. And this is always typically centered around residue management. And this is through uh, things such as cropping and tillage systems. Uh, and this is coupled with uh, really keeping compost or manure or plant material um, on the soil surface. So you're basically managing this to have a net accumulation of soil organic matter. Is there a way that growers can monitor organic matter to make sure that it's on the right track? That's a good question. You can take, you know, soil samples and start looking at soil organic matter uh, content or concentration um, in that soil surface. Um, it's it's going to take a while to really see those effects. Um, so it'd be kind of a year-over-year sampling um, mm-hmm. to where you start seeing some really tangible effects. So where can growers go to learn more on improving their soil health to increase that sustainability? 
Um, so there's there's a lot of resources out there. Um, some ones that I've actually personally been involved with with my kind of short time at Syngenta. Um, these include uh, groups such as the Nature Conservancy, uh, the Soil Health Institute, as well as the uh, USDA Natural Resources for Conservation Service. Um, and also, I, I've been involved with the, the Soil Science Society of America. Um, it's an academic uh, group, but they also have uh, a lot of free webinars on soil health. And as well as they just recently published a, a book that I'm happy to finally get my hands on. It's a soil health series book about uh, <laughs> laboratory methods for soil health analysis. Oh, yeah. Just a little live reading. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today and giving our listeners more insight on soil health for land sustainability and crop health. Um, listeners, stay tuned because up next we're joined by a special guest to talk about resistant weeds. Chuck Farr is an independent crop consultant in Northeast Arkansas, where he's been scouting fields since 1987. He consults on every crop grown in the Mid-South, including cotton, corn, grain, sorghum, rice, soybeans, peanuts, and wheat. Uh, In his role, Chuck wears many hats, from entomologist and pathologist to psychologist, depending on the time of year. He definitely seen um, the challenge that resistant weeds cause. So, Chuck, tell me about some of these resistant weed challenges that your growers face. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start in soybeans. And, of course, this, this arrived 10 or 12 years ago with, with you know, horseweed, mare's tail, as we call it, uh, to glyphosate. Um, once that became pretty prevalent, we, we were getting slippage with, uh, with, with glyphosate products on Palmer pigweed. And... Uh, it didn't take long for, for glyphosate to become resistant to, to our palmer pigweed, and that is our, our our number one weed problem that we have in, in really all crops is is palmer pigweed. And, and once it became resistant to glyphosate, certainly I believe that the plant has that, that resistance mechanism already built in it. Once it becomes resistant to one class of chemistry that it's, easier for it to become resistant to other class of chemistry. So as we move forward down the line over the 10 or 12 year period, you know, glyphosate, then it became resistant to the PPOs. Um, then it became resistant to the group 15 chemistries. What would you recommend given all the resistance for a weed management program? We try to start clean. We try to continue to lay residuals down. We've, we've relied heavily in years past on one or two chemistries, we're rotating chemistries, we're using multiple chemistries in our residual programs. And I'm not going to say that every field we got is immaculate, but we, we are managing our weeds right now. So that's tricky because then that totally impacts yield potential and plant health. Do they just lose the bushels or what do they do? Well, the first thing we do is you, you learn to work the problem, and it seems like we work the problem every year in some some different form of you know when it first showed up, you know we 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 just change chemistries, and that's that's the most logical thing to do is go from one chemistry to the next, and we've changed our production practices. Some of our our fields we've gone to narrow row space and trying to get us to canopy closure, and it's all about getting to canopy closure to let the crop do what we can to help us in weed control, just to shade out the weedy areas. Now we're using two to three to four in-crop residuals um, each and, on each and every field. 
our residuals are still holding for us, and I'm not going to. Uh, and if you look at weed control, if you get a 80%, 85% control on Palmer pigweed, we really feel like we're doing something. We've gone to earlier planted systems to try to get out of some of that high pressure, high situation. You know, the, the, the June uh, flush that always seems to come, you know, try to anything we can do to get the canopy closure has really helped us out. We've, we've, we've used some cover crops with cereal rye. Um, you know, we've, we've gone back and done a better job of rotating, you know, from a soybean to a corn to a rice crop in, in that mix. So we've, we've, we've tried to do everything we can um, from an agronomic standpoint. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're still so very limited on what our control measures are that, you know, uh, is is eighty percent control or eighty five percent control that we saw in twenty twenty one? Is that going to slip to an eighty or seventy five percent control in twenty twenty two? And you know, like I said, rotation is playing a big part of that. But mm-hmm. you know, the the inevitable is we're we're steadily going the wrong direction for weed resistance. So what are some of the other resistant weeds that you're seeing in other crops that are also impacted by this? So in 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 our soil bank crop we've got ALS resistant, you know, it's it's all the chemistries and it's Palmer, uh Italian ryegrass. Uh, very troublesome weed. It's, it is it is moved from the south to the north. Um, we're we're in the process of fighting Italian ryegrass, and and it's 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 a it's a yet again it's a it's a war uh, trying to control that. Our rice crop is probably next. We have resistant barnyard grass to multiple five five different classes of chemistry. We don't have a lot of chemistry to begin with in rice, and most of the products that we're dealing with are, have been out on the marketplace since really eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. Wow. So we've we've not we've not had a lot of new stuff come to the marketplace uh, in our rice crop, um, but barnyard grass, weedy rice are our two big resistant weeds that we have in our in our rice crop, and it is once again we're we're doing as many things as we can from a rotation standpoint, uh, continuing to lay down residuals in crop. Uh, we're we're kind of you know. We're making sure that every field we have, we're starting clean. And that's the most important thing we can do is start clean. What does starting clean look like specifically in cotton and rice crops as well as soybeans? Well, the, on a, on a, when I talk about start clean, it is literally making sure that we are weed-free at planting time. And and that means behind the planter, in front of the planter, we're using, you know, a, a, a gramoxone type program with with the residual out there um, that's that's in that field either right the day of or the day after planting. We want to make sure that we've done everything we can to make sure we, we have done everything we can to be weed free when that planter leaves the field. And that's a that's that's number one. Um, other than that, it's it's pray for rainfall, pray to get activations. You know, irrigated ground that's center pivot. We, we, I mean, we will turn pivots on if we need to to get activation of our herbicides. That's how that's how important it is for us to get our herbicides activated. Mm. We control 
we control right now supersedes really anything else that we do. If we if we don't get weed control first, then it really doesn't matter what the pathogens or the insects do the rest of the year. If we can't if we can't get our weed control where we need to be. That's a really good point because if one of those three is exceeding the limit that a crop can handle, you've essentially lost it. Absolutely, and you know from from a from a crop standpoint, I tell each and every client I work for, it's about building blocks. It's about planting your crop. It's about pulling the soil samples, following the fertility that needs to be done on that field. It's a proper variety for the proper soil type to get the proper stand, to put the proper herbicides out, and just keep going forward. Every one of those is a building block, and we just really we cannot have a hiccup in any of those building blocks at all. And I guess that goes to emphasize the need that it is to plan ahead for 2022 now. There are no more normal years. The only normal is the abnormal. And that's, <laughs> I've learned to live in that for the last five or six years. Like I said, we're going to move forward. We're going to swing the bat. We're going to knock it out of the park. It may not, it may only be for a base hit, but we're going to swing the bat. We're not going to get caught. It's not going to be because we're not prepared. I'll put it that way. I love that. Absolutely. These farmers are resilient and you guys will do everything you can to make sure their quality and yield potential is as good as it can be. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Chuck. For more conversations from the field, make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear insights as the 2022 season progresses. Happy New Year, Adam. I love the start of a new year. I'm one of those cheesy people that loves the feeling of a reset and new possibilities. And speaking of possibilities, the Accelerating a Generation Scholarship from Syngenta is still open for applications, right? Yeah, applications are open until January 11th, so just a couple more days. So everyone out there listening, make sure you get your applications in. Um, And in other exciting news, the 25th Annual Cotton and Rice Conference will take place later this month. It's funny, actually. The Cotton and Rice Conference is how I met and worked with Chuck Farr last year, although that was virtual. Um, So this year's Cotton and Rice Conference is actually coming up in just a few weeks with 110 presentations from industry experts, researchers, crop consultants, educators, and farmers. Attendees will get to hear the latest insights, advice, and innovation in these crops. And 110 presentations is a lot. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure they'll touched on some of the ways growers can combat resistant weeds like Chuck talked about earlier, you know, that and probably a lot more. Oh, for sure. Yeah, with 110 presentations, for sure. You know, you can still register for either virtual or in-person attendance for the conference. And if any of our listeners attend, make sure to check out the learning session with Syngenta Agronomic Service Reps, Keith Driggs and Trip Walker on winning against weeds, bugs and disease in soybean crops for effective control year after year. Um, or you can check out the session, Make Input Decisions That Boost Productivity with AgReg Specialist Ashton Lockley and Dr. John Mallon. Um, he's a precision ag professor at Arkansas State University. So both sessions will have such valuable insight to take into the 2022 season. Yeah, absolutely. Learn more about the Accelerating a Generation Scholarship at syngenta-us.com scholarships. Always read and follow label instructions. Chromoxone SL 2.0 and Chromoxone SL 3.0 are restricted use pesticides. Thank you for listening to the Thrive Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to receive the latest updates in your favorite podcast listening platform. Thank you.